Everybody, welcome to another episode of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of Troy McClure, the show of communes. Yes, today's amazing conversation with Tacey Rollins, previously of Colorado, coming back to Austin, perhaps as of in this next couple of weeks. It's really the perfect time to, to drop this episode. Tacey and I sat down talking at the Bar Institute here in Austin, Texas, sometime in June, and we had known each other for some time. You know, she'd worked at Trinquel. She worked at a lot of other spots that I had frequented as I was coming into this industry. She was always there imparting lots of knowledge. And she's had an amazing, amazing voyage that starts with homeschooling. It leads to a commune. It leads to tragedy. It leads to traveling all over the place. It's one of those kinds of stories that you can't believe it until you hear it. So I hope you guys enjoy this chat with Tacey Rowland. Fourteen months—that's actually too long. It's too long. Yeah, and that's um, part of why I came for a week in June. Yeah, <laughs> I was like using. Um, I mean, Bar Institute is amazing, and I was happy that they had one in Austin. They were talking to me about going to the one in Phoenix. I was mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to the one in Phoenix. Phoenix. There's one in Austin. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's my town. And I got to kind of double it up as an excuse for work. Yeah. To, that's like, good. I'm point. going for an actual reason, guys. Yeah. Business expense. Business expense. Yeah. I don't need to take vacation time, and I just tacked on an extra day or two on either side because. Oh, good. I've been to a few of these things now, and an extra day or day or two on either side is never a bad idea. No, I think to either prep or to unwind. Right. After, you know, because this is, how do you feel about like, there's a rigmarole. I don't even know how you say that, right? It's okay. You can tell it. Um, but there is the waking up early, kind of, yeah. drinking all night, kind of. Mm-hmm. Like, how do, how do you feel about having to do that day in, day out? Well, I mean, even in our world, being obligated to be anywhere yeah. When you're not getting directly paid for it. Can it's be, tough, right? I mean, this is just something we're not used to. Like, we are the masters <laughs> of our own universe in we get paid bar to do world. Everything. Yeah, I'm like, you want me to show up somewhere? Where's my cash? Right, right. No, I mean, <laughs> it happens like that. Uh, so, sometimes, you know. Well, ideally. Ideally. Well, ideally, you, this so, is the way it goes. No, I know, but it, why does it got to be so transactional? You know? Because it's like, um, so this thing, right? You're not yeah. getting paid. I mean, hell, no. you had some free juice. That's about the extent Pretty of it. Stoked about it. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I've tried to schedule people. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, okay, 4 p.m. tomorrow. There was someone who I was supposed to meet. Yeah. He never showed. He never texted me back. Oh, I'm like, fuck, dude, this is my time worst. too. Yeah. Like, yeah, I own a business and I have a day job and all that shit. Mm-hmm. And he didn't even give me the courtesy of telling me he wasn't going to show up. Yeah, I think there's. I think we're in such an odd business because we have this immediate gratification culture. Yeah. You know, we make cash or we know every night that we have an immediate return in some way true yeah and so i think anything else bartenders just get confused by they're confused they're confused they're like wait what 
I tried to bait him with bait him in the room with mezcal. Like these are like really like, rare mezcals. <laughs> wafting it under his nose. No, like, I follow mean, me. A specific because I know he he's he owns an agave place. Okay. 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 And I know he's particularly interested in agave. And I'm like, I have a really special bottle I would love to share. So to yeah. me, it was more like we had a date and I kind of got stood up. You know? Oh, no. Now, I found someone else that was a, <laughs> I found a brilliant Peruvian to, to interview. Oh, like, I had a wonderful time talking. Brilliant Peruvian. God, he's so, it was articulate. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. And I'm over in the, the exhibition room and mm-hmm. Josh Hendricks is like, oh, you should interview this dude. I'm like, okay, well, good. Mine Great. stood me up and I've been sitting around for a fucking hour. Yeah. But it's this, be- beautiful. So I also think that's an opportunity for any new bartenders coming into the scene is there yeah. are some things that get passed by by the more seasoned folks or the folks who and I think part of it too is that they've gotten fucked around at one point or another yeah. by some person like member of the press right, or right. whatever. But that leaves some opportunities open for newcomers. I think so too. I think if you're gonna, the, so the, the it's almost like the antithesis of being successful in any mm-hmm. industry, really. But if you think about the bar world, it's like okay, all right. How about well, just, let's try this. Let's just flip it on here for a mm-hmm. second. Reply to my text messages in mm-hmm. a timely manner. Mm-hmm. Email me back. Yeah. Follow up and say thank you. Mm-hmm. Right or don't if you're not thankful. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I mean, these are like really common <laughs> etiquette kind of things that get yeah. lost. But I'll tell you who does it though. So you've got like these many tiers professionally of bartenders, mm-hmm. but the guys that own the businesses, they know how important those relationships are. Right. They're well, the ones that do that. Well, because the people that own businesses are the people who understand that every business comes from relationships. Right. And absolutely. that none of us can do this on our own. Yeah. Like, I think there was a time when you could, when you could open a bar and be on your own and be like, I'm going to do things my way. And sure. I actually think that's how a couple bars, like, I think that's how Anvil came into play. Right. Well, because right? there, there is no they, beat. There is no drum. They get to just start it. You they know? just start it. Yeah. And they figured out how to make a wildly successful business. And now everyone's knocking down the door being like, hey, we want to play. And they're like, you didn't eight years ago. Yeah, you didn't care We then. figured it out. So yeah. we're good. Thanks. Yeah, exactly. But starting a business now in the culture that we have, those relationships are somewhat essential. Yeah. And you can't, I mean, you can't do it without them. I, yeah, it's so important. And there is really nothing more important than that. You could say money is more important, but actually you can't get money. Mm-hmm. You can't get funding unless you have the relationships. And they, exactly. if you ever come across as flaky or you ever come across as unreliable, then you're not going to be able to get the money. So, Well, because there's, there's always options. I mean, that goes on both sides of the industry, right? Like it's every bartender, bar owner has mm. options of who they want to build relationships with. Like, yeah, oh, you right, have an yeah. awesome $10 bottle gin. So do six other people. Yeah. Yeah, you're totally right. So it just comes down to who do I want to be in this relationship with. Yeah. But from the other side, it's like, yeah, who's reliable? Who's going to actually put me on my menu, on their menu when they say they're going to? And who's going to follow through? It's strange. It is. You know? But you know what? I want to get like, so we'll we'll, we'll come back to this, of course. I think this will be a common thread to the whole chat. But so I only know you from Austin, right? And that is, I think we're talking three and a half, maybe four-ish years that that I've known. You know, yeah, something yeah. like that, you know, which is actually quite a long time in this industry. It you is. Think. It's totally, <laughs> it's totally like that. But oh God, we're old timers. Oh, and I'm older than you, so I don't <laughs> want to hear that shit. I'm going more gray by the second as I'm finding <laughs> I out. I have gray hair. Do you? I the lighting's up- low in here. I can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Like all I see is this bags in your eyes. I'm yeah, so I just dead. see gray. <laughs> like like dark black gray, not like shiny gray in the hair. Don't, don't no, worry. It's just sprinkled. I well, I always have dyed my hair a lot just because yeah. I like to and yeah, I yeah. get bored. And this last year I was like, eh, let's just grow it out and see what happens. I'm like, Interesting. 
well, the gray was a shock, but it I owned it. Yeah. I owned it for a hot second. I was like, who cares? I've got gray hair. And now right. there's enough that I'm like, oh, I should. <laughs> Stacy, I'm overstepping <laughs> my aesthetic well yeah. from here. Yeah. But you're not. Are you? Did you grow up in Texas? No, I'm an army brat. Okay. So I grew what up. Kind of all around? All around. And it's funny to this day because, especially in Vail, people will ask me where I'm from. Yeah. And I'm like, I claim Austin sure. as home. This is what feels like home to me. And they're like, no, where's on your where's on your passport? Where were you born? And yeah. I'm like, Würzburg, Germany. Really? Yeah. You and Dennis both born in Germany. Yeah, but I only lived there for eight months. I know. But still. he I mean, he was, what, 12 when he moved? Yeah, he was like, almost a teenager, I think, when he came over. Yeah. But so the... How long were you in Germany then? You said eight months? Eight months. And then you guys headed back to the States? Yeah. I lived there exactly long enough that I could never donate blood in the U.S. Really? Because I could potentially be a carrier for um, mad cow disease. Really? I At tried. I was real poor for a little while. And I, tried. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't donating so yeah. much as trying to sell. No, and it was they, a they wouldn't let me. Schwarzberg, uh, <laughs> Michigan. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> No, but it's like, oh, I'm yeah, no, there, well, there's just a question on the whole survey that says, did you live in Europe for more than six months from this period to this period? Really? And of course, I don't find this out until after I've been like interviewing and trying to be cleared by people for a couple of hours. Yeah, yeah. And so you then just I'm, wasted all that time. I wasted all the time. Jesus. But now I never have to feel bad about not donating blood. That is a good point. I lose <laughs> sleep at night. I'm like, man, I'm I clear. could have if I just made time to donate blood a little bit. I'm clear for life, basically. <laughs> I'm like, not my fault. You don't want blood that's like 10% <laughs> like, I wasn't mescal, even eating anyway. solid food, but I was breastfeeding. And I guess that's enough. I, I don't guess, know. No, I think you're you right. Know? I think yeah. absolutely. Especially given that that was, I think, at the, the peak of when all that stuff was going down there. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is interesting because it doesn't seem like they eat a lot of bad beef over there but i guess it happens from the uk or something i guess i don't know i don't know where did you guys land in the states um directly after that we lived in oklahoma for five years um and that is those are my first memories are oklahoma do you have any brothers sisters i have one younger sister okay who is four and a half to five years younger than me yeah um so she was born there and then we went to washington state oh nice yeah that was beautiful. beautiful we went to korea Lived in South Korea. How long were you in South Korea? A year. Just over a year. So still pretty like pre-teen? I was... In... She was two. So, so I was sep- six, seven. seven. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So still not cool enough to like get it, right? Not get the culture yet? Or? N- no. I mean, I loved it. My sister and I were both blonde and had curly hair. Yeah. And we were essentially famous. <laughs> exactly. Because a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of Koreans had never seen... A blonde-haired person, A right? blonde-haired person. Yeah. And I just remember going to like amusement parks and having people get in pictures with us. Oh, really? And like girls like screaming because they were so excited. That's incredible. And it's also good luck to give money to kids in Korea. And what? because we were blonde, somehow they thought it was like extra good luck. So I just remember people passing us money on the just, street what? or like toys or stuffed animals. I was like, this is great. This is how, you know, but I, there can, is I this, can get down with this. There's a dark line that can be crossed. <laughs> Like, hey, little girl, do you want some candy? Yes. Right? Like, that just seems like that's what would happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, and it's uh, totally an good. Way, and like, I remember we lived in a school district. We lived in town instead of on the army base. Yeah. And I used to take my allowance every week. I was never good at saving. Yeah. And I'd, like, go around to the toy stores and find what I wanted to buy. But the Korean kids would just follow me in hordes, like, wow. seeing what I would do. That's crazy. It was crazy. The Western influence The almost, Western right? influence, I guess. Yeah. It was, um, it was such a unique experience you were a trendsetter 
Like in your yeah, young, absolutely. You basically affected a whole county. I feel like I wasted it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know That's what funny. to do. It's like, for some reason, they're all dressing like I do now in South <laughs> Korea. Like when I was a little kid. I'm like, I'm wearing secondhand Mickey Mouse t-shirts. What? <laughs> Let's do it, guys. Like even more Western. <laughs> Jesus, it's perfect. So how long? You said a pretty brief stint in South yeah, Korea. Yeah, just over a year. That's pretty good, though. It's a good amount of time. Yeah, it was a good amount of time. Enough that I really, I mean, I remember a lot of things and... I had a, yeah, a unique experience from that. And I, then we moved to Alabama. Alabama. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then my dad got out of the military. Go to private sector, as they say. They started yeah. doing some other stuff. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. So we moved to a cult. <laughs> a cult. Well, that's good. For like five years. In Alabama? No, in the Upper Peninsula, Michigan. And that that's for a pretty two and area. A half, it was gorgeous. Yeah. It was actually, if you take out the kind of culty religious part, yeah. it was really cool because this um, organization had. <laughs> <laughs> They're like running PR for this cult. They're an, organ- well, an assembly. It's a, of- it's a funny thing because I don't feel that it was a totally negative experience. I just feel well, that sure. I wasn't set up for reality. But yeah. other people that were there had different experiences. And I've talked to a couple of the other kids that were living there and no longer kids, obviously. And right. We were like, you know, like there's really no other way to describe it than a cult. Well, so can I, let me ask you a few questions. Okay. That's okay. So were your, so your folks are still together. It's you mm-hmm. and your sister. Is that, that's all still that's the core it. family, right? Mm-hmm. And were your, was your family re- religious in any way prior to your father leaving the army? Yes. Okay. What um, a denomination? Conservative, Christian. Okay. Non-denominational. Kind of. Yeah. Just in general. And it's, it's always an interesting conversation at my house if it comes up because yeah. I think my parents were raised more liberally okay. and made a very um, concentrated, sincere effort to protect my sister and I sure. and raise us the way they wish they'd been raised. But what didn't come through is that they had a different perspective than we did because they were raised differently. Yeah, absolutely. So were, were they, when you talk about liberal, were they raised like on the coast or anything? Or n- No. Just- um, I mean, my dad's family was military, oh, okay. but non-religious yeah, yeah. for the most part. And then... My mom was, her background was Irish Catholic. Oh, okay. Surprised but her father, sister. I mean, I, like she grew up with like one of the Mad Men guys as her dad. Like, you know, drinks every oh, night right, and like, like happy model. hour every day at the yeah. house. And like, and her parents, her dad had been divorced. So her parents were um, excommunicated from the church oh, when I they see. got married okay, yeah. and moved out to Colorado and didn't have a lot to do with religion at that point right and well if you're cast aside like what do you, you really want yeah. to be part of it again right exactly I'd be kind and of bitter about it I yeah think. and i think those are the things that were so they're like we come from these various backgrounds your parents like mm-hmm. part, part, part of its divorce and whatnot. yeah it's like we didn't like that right so we're gonna come and we're gonna we make are it going really to, ultra structured like, we're gonna give our kids the ultimate setup to be successful at life as we believe it should be got it so it's you know, my sister and I, I mean, we make jokes sometimes. Like, I've never seen a Star Wars movie. I've never seen The Simpsons. Because yeah. I was Sorry raised. Sorry for that Simpsons reference earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Surprise. Um, and, but it was, there was a meaning behind that. It wasn't yeah. just that they were depriving us right. of interaction. Like, and it wasn't that based in ignorance either, which is often well, the case. Because right. people are afraid of what exists. I mean, Instead, I think they, they were it. still afraid, but they? they knew what they were afraid of and yeah, they were okay, like, exactly. we got you girls. Yeah, Don't worry go. about it. And then, but what happened was eventually we went into the real world mm. and were uh, mightily unprepared. Yeah. Oh, I bet. 
How so, long were you in the Upper Peninsula in this assembly, this group, <laughs> this organization? <laughs> now you're running PR. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we were there for about two and a half years. Oh, okay. okay. And I was I was 12 when we moved there, so that was and there was one girl my age. Yeah. Because this, so this organization was actually based around homeschoolers. Um, Okay, so it was kind of an alternative to college okay, okay. for homeschool guys. Like, these guys are turning 18. We sure. don't want to send them into the real world while they'll be corrupted by women and drugs and alcohol. That's so the best part, Tasty. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> now I know. Uh, so what do we do? We send them to the woods to a military-style organization okay. where everyone lives in a lodge together and has communal meals and church 18 times a week. Wow. You guys uh, also farm and do the food stuff together? We didn't farm. We okay. did. I baked a lot of bread. This okay. actually came up last night because somebody that I'm friends with was yeah. like, we had a homeschool prom at my bar and I thought about you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the resident homeschool kid. I was like, we weren't allowed to have prom. He's like, well, there weren't any guys. I was like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, and somehow we started talking about baking bread. I was like, I bake really good bread, guys. I don't know. And they were all laughing. I like that, yeah. And I was like, actually, I really do. I sold my bread. No, That's I how bet. good it was. I <laughs> mean, I want some bread now, for sure. <laughs> I want to bake you some bread. Yeah, I like, I like this a lot. This is a great <laughs> thing for me. You know, it's booze, but bread is great. <laughs> bread is really great. They go together. So it's weird. So because my, you know, when I think about a commune, let's call it mm -hmm. a commune. Is that fair? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, completely. All these list of synonyms that we've got. <laughs> I think, okay, cool. We're self-sufficient because mm -hmm. we're in some kind of rural area in the upper peninsula of michigan oh yeah not, so rural yeah so rural. how did you guys get food i mean there were there were grocery stores okay, but we so also the, we they had basically a commercial kitchen oh wow and girls would go volunteer and work Sweet. in the kitchen and my parents see this is where my parents were always the coolest of them all because they were like uh you don't need to work in the kitchen just because you're a girl okay so Which my, is weird because that's almost like subversive in this what i would expect of the overall they were of, they were different yeah. um to a certain extent we were still living there with everybody but they were like you don't need to work in the kitchen yeah so my mom took over my dad ran basic training which okay. is a miller military style basic what are they training. training for you know the end of the world uh, no okay. y2k okay. was a little bit of a thing as i remember sure um but basic training was basically to break people break guys down and make them come to Jesus. Is there a lot of punching or is it all no, uh, uh, psychops as they call it? Psychological. More psychological, but also, I mean, they got up. I think it was just structure and discipline yeah. for these kids who were raised with their family, yeah. you know, and my dad was military for, so he knew, he knew, for, he knew. It, right? yeah. and so they would have PT every morning and they would do this 24 hour hike was kind of the big, and my dad would do it with the guys. And, yeah. This is what's tricky about it is my dad, I think this was the best thing he's ever done. Mm -hmm. He got to mentor a lot of guys one-on-one, -on -one, yeah. really spend time with these people and invest into their lives. And that part was great. Um, and they still, I, we still have guys that call my dad or, you know, they'll find me on Facebook. I'm, like, I'm 12. Don't friend me now. This yeah, is creepy. Oh, you know? That's weird. <laughs> that weird then. It's even more weird now. I, yeah. Exactly. I'm like, I barely remember who specific yeah. dudes um just all these guys wandering around in uniforms and um and then they would go on to second phase and second phase they learned a lot of kind of counseling that was more like psychiatric level i see okay and then phase three they got to pick a life skill i see okay so they could do leadership with my dad where mm -hmm. they ran basic training right we had a runway in planes 
What we the, had an really? ambulance. We had a doctor and staff that could get their paramedics license. Wow. They would do some search and rescue skills. So and they like would go around like school. when Katrina happened, they went and helped out. It's I'm so conflicted. I because, know. Right? That's what like, I'm saying. It's yeah. Because it's I'm such like, well, a, okay, they're they're This is helping. actually like a really cool Yeah. It's good, but it's bad at the same time. Yeah, and I was 12 when we were out in the middle of the woods. We had multiple lakes, multiple lodges. We had canoes. My parents, looking back, it's funny. They were like, no, you can't watch any television outside of Anne of Green Gables, but go camping for the weekend. Have fun. Yeah, which (laughs) is where the real, like, You know, I'm I'm out in the woods and I'm 12 years old, you know? That is so cool. (laughs) You're like, that's okay. See, this is so strange. Again, it's such, it's disparate. Yeah. You know, I can't, I don't get, I don't know who to root for. Right. I'm really conflicted. Well, and for me, it was overall, it was a very good experience. I think being able to do all those things yeah. and have those kind of freedoms. That's a very rich background. Yeah. Nature, cooking, mm-hmm. uh, getting away from media. Yes. You know, living the in a life exact away opposite. Media. And there's a couple events that happened that I remember filtering through. Yeah. I, Princess Diana died. Okay. That's that was a big, sure. that was a big one. Um, so the whole organization actually moved to Texas. Really? Everyone's favorite business owner, the guy who owns Hobby Lobby. Oh, that guy? That guy. Yeah. Donated a college campus in Northeast Texas. Really? To this. Yeah. Um, and we all, we were like, this is great. There's, there was a golf course. There Uh were like houses on a lake. So all the families finally got houses instead of living in the same building together. Yeah. Um, but the catch was that it's Northeast Texas and it sucks. <laughs> well, it's a bit desolate. Yeah. It's Humidity levels. Beautiful. Either. Everything there is out to kill you. There's yeah. every kind of poisonous bug or snake. Yeah, there totally is. And, um, but we lived there and that was where things kind of started to unravel. You need the nature and the surroundings of the Upper Peninsula to yeah. really have it be so special. And so a year and a half or two of that and we left. But I remember the uh, World Trade. Yeah, 9-11. 9-11 happened while we were there, and that's the only time I actually just remember having the TV on. Wow. Takes that kind of thing. That kind of thing, and my mom was just like, no, this is history. Like, we are... We have to. I mean, we have huge. to. I mean... That is so interesting. So, okay, so a couple rules, I imagine. Mm-hmm. No booze, right? On the no booze. Okay, no booze. Ankle-length skirts for the girls. Okay. So we don't want to be a distraction of to the course, guys. Of course, to all they were the there for 18-year-old dudes who are rife with <laughs> horniness. <laughs> Jesus, I don't know. Little did I know at the time because all of them were terrified of my dad. My dad was the man. Oh, yeah. Captain Roland. Yeah. Yeah. Well, or not lucky, depending. We all go through some weird physical things at the opposite sex when we're not really. Yeah, I was, I mean, I was fine. I wasn't ready for it. I was best friends with everybody. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Because your dad will strangle him in the night. You know? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) completely. I did have a guy that wanted to, because, you know, in that world, we were, it was like courtship and marriage. You asked the father. And so I had a guy talked to my dad about me when I was 16. Okay. But my parents thought it would freak me out. So they didn't tell me. All right. But they let him start emailing me. Okay. So (laughs) so you got, are we talking like a year and a half in the Upper Peninsula? You guys do the Northeast Texas thing, which Mm -hmm. is the accommodations aren't as they were. Right. I I can imagine why it unraveled in a lot of ways. Yeah. But so two years, two and a half years total, you're saying, though, in these, in both of these? Oh, no, no, no. Two and a half in the Northwest. I think we were there for almost five years total. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. So ages 12 to 17 for Oh, that's me. huge then. Yeah. Okay. So, so 16, these were my you're teenage still there. years. Yeah. Yeah. Formative years. Yeah. But you don't get the form. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you. Nothing formed. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> fuck. That's. 
it's I mean it's intriguing as hell. Mm-hmm. But so they're they're saying, all right, well, sixteen because you leave. We when can you're start 17, these discussions. We can start. What made it okay then? Because you're a woman then. Like, what what exactly were they thinking? You think? I think they were just thinking that this was a really nice dude. Okay. That okay. they would like to see me with, and they were like, she's really young, obviously, and so don't freak her out but you can start a discussion with her we give you that approval and give him like a scope of topics and stuff or is it just like i don't know actually i just know that this happened and when i found out i was really i was really freaked out and i was also offended that i felt like they had been kind of plotting with this dude behind my back back, i was you know not ready for that and not wanting to start anything you know i mean and that was we were raised in this culture of like you don't date until you think you could actually marry someone and you I don't see. kiss someone until you're dating and you don't right. i mean i was Certainly surrounded no sex right oh no yeah like you're you're they'll chop no. it off oh yeah. yeah yeah oh yeah um and there were some things that came out later with a couple of the families there there were some abusive issues and i was like that but it's got to be an undertone of that you don't ask those questions when right. you're living that closely with people and well, when you're young too you don't even think of it why would exactly you my it? sister actually my younger sister got the brunt of a little bit of it but i honestly had no idea any of it was going on because that's how innocent i was at the time and she still to this day kind of deals with some of those trust issues i think was she perpetrated like was some was she the the stuff like the person that was perpetrated or no it was was around that when we called them the little girls so i was when we moved there i was 12 and there was only one other girl my friend my age who's my friend and there was a group of eight of them uh, it was about five years younger and we called them the little girls okay so it wasn't necessarily her okay it was a couple of people around her i see okay yeah man that's it gets dark quick <laughs> yeah so we had very different experiences also mm. and it it really kind of hindered us in a lot of ways but differently right what yeah. was that final straw then that, that your family's like? Was it you that said, I'm getting the fuck out of here? Or was your family oh, no. like, we got to No, go I had no idea how to operate outside of that. Uh-huh. And my family eventually, I think in Texas, it just slowly deteriorated. Right. And mm-hmm. then my mom was like, okay, we did your thing. Like you got out of the military. Yeah. He had always told her he'd take her back to Colorado because okay. she was born and raised there. And she's like, now I've done this thing for five years. Did, did you guys walk? Did, how do you? Do you think your father walked away from it thinking, all right, that was the right thing to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was the good phase and everything. I think for him, it like for him, it was the best thing he's ever done. Like he felt like he was impacting lives. Yeah. <clears throat> and making, yeah, and making yeah. a difference. And that's what makes it hard sometimes. My sister and I have talked about it. We can't necessarily talk to my parents the same way about it yeah. because, I mean, and my mom, my mom gets it, I think, but also just takes it personally. Of course. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it's hard with... They did, in fact, uproot the family to take you to a commune. <laughs> they did. I mean, if this was You know was it's a, a great movie, idea? Let's move to a commune, guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that doesn't sound that good. Just right. as a dude listening. But, and you know. I, think in, I think in retrospect, you can't really make it sound that good. And my yeah. mom realizes that. But my dad is still on the page of, I mean, these guys bring their families to come visit my parents still. Oh, that's and crazy. So he's got to feel, he was a community leader. He yes. impacted people's lives, probably mm-hmm. more than he did in the military. Yes. Know? And so that for, gives him a sense of for meaning, him, yeah. but that whole thing was just for him, yeah, I and see. not for the rest of us. But it was like our sacrifice to the family, I guess, in a way. Yeah. Well, it, it's maybe the him. later chapters are about your mom. I guess it comes out pretty even if they moved. To yeah, Colorado, they moved back to Colorado, know? and 
Did, did you go with them? Um, well, we went to Kentucky first. Okay. And- <laughs> of course. Of course we went to Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> and he ran a um, U.S. senator's campaign. Really? Who was also involved with this whole homeschool organization, okay. which was nationwide. It wasn't just the group that right. we were. It's a, it's a movement, a cause. It's a movement. Whatever, yeah. yeah. I mean, they had training centers where, you know, if you were a bad kid, you would go. Wow. There were all sorts of things involved. Um, but, yeah, so he ran a U.S. senator's campaign, and that's where I – uh, spent my last years of high school. Yeah, how would like that would public school? Or are you still homeschool? Oh no, then? still homeschool. Okay, because it's part of the cause. You have to be right. Well, and I I did go to school in third grade. Oh yeah, well that doesn't. <laughs> yeah, a little different. That's the only year I ever went to school. And really? That was just because I felt left out. And yeah. I was like, I'm the homeschooled kid that's at home all the time. But we moved so much, it was actually easier to homeschool. Yeah. yeah I went to sense. school for a year, and I was like, well, this kind of sucks. I like it better the <laughs> other way. Yeah. It's so, interesting. Though. So after a year, I I was like, no, I'm good. You can take me back home and yeah. give me the books and test me, and I'm cool with that. And wow. Even if I have to wait for the other kids in the neighborhood to get home from school, I'll be yeah. okay. Um, so, so Kentucky, you're wrapping all of the education finally, right? You're about 18, you're saying? Oh, yeah. I did no school in Kentucky. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was my senior year of high school, and I started working at a tiny ski resort, which uh-huh. was my first secular job sure. out in the okay. real world. I like that in quotes, secular. <laughs> yeah. I, um and i uh so i did that and i did typing okay sure (laughs) and i did an sat prep course okay and thankfully i've always tested well and i'm fairly intelligent so none of that was ever an issue um my mom would be like go do school i'm like i'll do typing (laughs) (laughs) they don't want you in the kitchen and you're like no i want to be yeah but when i got when i got to college i was like i'm not ready for this i don't know yeah. I don't know that I've actually received an education. Well, and what about a social education too? Because are you talking a, is well, there a specific college too? Or was it just a public university that you? Um, My first year, my first semester, I went to University of Monte- Montevallo, which is a small liberal arts school in okay. Alabama. Because we had a, a very conservative family right, that right. I was friends with the daughter in and I could live with. Okay. And I actually, so we had just moved to Colorado at that point, And out-of-state tuition in Colorado is ridiculous because everyone wants to go to school there. Yeah, And so my friend was like, well, we live in this college town. You could live with us for a semester and go to school. And we called them. And over the phone, I was granted down to half of in-state tuition oh, because of amazing. my test scores, right. um, which were not good enough to get me anything in Colorado. Right. But at this small school sure. that actually needed out-of-state people for their demographic, uh-huh. I could go. And I remember the first day sitting in school and being like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm out of place. I'm unprepared. I hate my parents. <laughs> <laughs> the normal stuff. The normal yeah. stuff. <laughs> Who am I? Why am I here? Yeah. Where am I going? <laughs> hate you parents. And, the, <laughs> and this girl looked to me. They were doing a, a survey of incoming students. And it was it was things like compared to other people you know your age. Do you yeah. consider yourself forgiving? Do you mm. consider yourself all these things? And she looked at me and she goes, what does compassion mean? Whoa. And I was like, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got my lackey right here. I got like, this. Because yeah, yeah. uh, I grew up reading. I mean, I was reading Jane Austen books when I was 11 years yeah. old and carrying them around with me. And I would ask my dad what words meant. And he was like, I'm going to get you a dictionary. <laughs> he just gave me well, a dictionary so to though. carry Jane around. Austen, that's, a great, that's actually talking about compassion, talking about love, talking right. about real human relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so good. That's I great. grew up on the classics and I could always read and write. And yeah. to this day, I'm... I'm 
pretty much like if you can read and write or do basic math, you're pretty set up for school. I totally agree. That's yeah. pretty much all you It's really more need. than some people have when they yeah. go into school. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. Did you so did you do the whole college thing? Did you want to finish it and or Well, was... I wanted to do it. My mom had me test out of a couple of courses. Yeah. I tested out of American History 1. Wow. And she was like, "Here's what you do." White guys are bad sure indians african-americans women are always good okay and we watched (laughs) the patriot which was the first r-rated movie i ever saw it's a bloody one too it's a bloody one how do you feel about heath ledger and you're like oh my gosh i was like i can't watch this it's too much wow um and i i watched some other documentary series and i went in and i tested out of american history one that is insane (laughs) you knew how to play the system well my mom did. Yeah. I mean, my parents are great people. You know, we just had a little misguided kind of yeah, situation that. for a few years. <laughs> so you test out. So when it, I have a feeling you have, what's the word? You get estranged from school. Like you, you have this kind of move. You're well, like, I don't think this In is my head, I was like, I want the college experience. Right. I want to go live in a dorm. I missed out on high school. Yeah. I didn't go to prom. I didn't have, you know, anything like that. It's like, I want the college experience. Four years Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. And I went and I was like, we took six months in a class to learn something I could have read a book on and taken the test on. This is a waste of my time. Too slow for you. Too slow. I I was an English lit major because those were the classes I liked Mm -hmm. going to because it was an actual conversation. And I could gain things from a conversation I couldn't gain from just reading about it. Reading about it. Yeah, absolutely. Other people's perspectives. So I was an English lit major, and then we kind of got to a point where um, I was, I didn't want to be a writer or an editor, Mm. so what's the point? Good point, yeah, yeah. And I had planned to go study abroad, and I I had, I also was doing a semester at a time, then taking a semester off, okay, and doing other things, most of which were Bible or Christian-oriented programs, and I was involved with this program called YWAM, Youth with the Mission. Um, Sounds like it could be a good punk band. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, I don't know. I'm not they familiar wish. with this. I mean, and they were one of those cool, cool, cool organizations, yeah. right? Were so they, they the ones ripping phone books in half? <laughs> 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 there was that boring thing. I remember for, we're, we're tearing phone for books. For Jesus. God. Yeah. yeah. Whatever it is. You know, whatever. Um, so I did this snowboard program with them and we lived up in the mountains in oh, Colorado. Cool. Yeah. And on the weekends, we would go snowboarding and do, like, skits in the middle of the little mountain towns, Uh you know, because that was what was going to bring people to Jesus. Of course. The song Fix Me is, like, ruined forever. I don't even know what song that is, thankfully. Uh, It's a Coldplay song. Oh, shit. I do know that song. You do know that song. That's a great song. (laughs) Not for me. me. (laughs) And I had to play the part of a sexually confused girl that didn't know whether she liked dudes or girls but right. i was still allowed to come to jesus so it was okay that's good at least, <laughs> no see at least they're inviting everybody to the to the game to the gates so yeah, to speak. you know yeah that's I mean, that's uh you know in texas we gotta some of those guys have a real hard time bringing everybody into the fold this is true yeah this is so true. that's pretty progressive if in fact they meant that you know yeah i i think they did and we traveled overseas we went to bosnia and rebuilt skate parks and did, did it some does really cool sound things. like a cool, yeah. Well, cool yeah, I was like, I don't want to go to school. And my parents were like, well, we can't let her just do nothing. And right. So they would do this. And, um, but w- 
And so then I did a secondary school with them. I had a friend that committed suicide while I was there. Yeah. Part of the group? Uh, no, a friend back home that I worked with at yeah. Red Robin, my first restaurant. Oh, job. I see. Good fries. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Sorry to, to <laughs> mention Red Robin fries amidst <laughs> the discussion about suicide. But yeah. there you go. But this was the first real life thing that had really happened yeah. to me. And when I went back home, it had been several months since it happened and everyone else I'd kind of dealt with it and moved mm. on, and I had a really hard time getting there. And I went. What did you? Were you feeling sad? Were you feeling confused? Did you I was, not know? I was feeling sad. He and I had a little bit of a thing yeah. going on. He wasn't like a first or, or anything, was he? A what? Like a first, like a first heavy kiss. First. No, we never. Yeah, nothing like. I that. had never kissed anyone at this point still, oh, okay. and it was just a kind of flirtation, I guess. But sure. he was the one the one who was like making me some of my first mixtapes yeah. and like things like that yeah. like very sweet innocent um and he had the hard part for me was that he had asked me to stay and i had gone off to the school oh, being wow. like i'll be back in six months whatever yeah and nobody really he was supposed to be on some medication that he wasn't taking yeah um so when i went back it was a lot for me to handle um on a few levels and so then they did the secondary school in the fall, mm. and I was like, "I need to be here." Yeah, and need to be back in this. I need to be back in this supportive community. Right. Um, I can't be at home right now, and so my parents were like, "Yeah, great, another Bible school, cool, go for it." Yeah, they just don't want you amid uh, among the world. Among right? the world, yeah, anything else, anything right. but that. So, I did that, and I had already had a situation when I worked at a little ski resort in Indiana. Uh -huh. I was very vocal about my beliefs being sure. like, I believe this and this and this. Right. And it was everything I'd ever been taught. And I had one guy one day who was sitting on the lift with me and looking back, everyone was so respectful. They uh, never offered me drugs or right. tried to get me to go to parties. And But they tried, were still they all my friends. You. They didn't yeah. try to corrupt me at all, yeah, collectively. That's, that's actually great. It's actually really great looking yeah. back at it. But there's this one guy who had all these tattoos. He was a little scary to me. He had all these <laughs> tattoos and like long hair. And I was telling him all these things. And he was like, okay. He's like, why? Nobody Lovely. had ever asked me why yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. That's and the best question. The best question. Sure. And I was very honest with myself. And the only reason I had come up with that I believed all these things was that it was the only thing I knew. Yeah. And that was the beginning of the beginning the, of the beginning end. of the end. Yeah, that's a brilliant way. To, yeah. Why not's a good question, and mm -hmm. why? Those are my two favorite questions. Yes, so. and it just threw my entire world into disarray. Yeah, and my you're mom an intellectual. So yeah. the thing is, is like internally, there's going to be this this dissonance. We're like, wait, 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 wait. I understand this stuff because mm -hmm. I'm intelligent. I can get through. I can breeze through school. Right. But I'm reading about this thing that I'm actually not a part of. Right. You're reading about the world, but mm -hmm. yet you're not part of the world. Mm -hmm. You're still, you know, in this, you're sequestered in, yeah. in a very small kind of social group. So what was the first step? Like, what was the first step out of the bubble where you truly um, were out of that world? I mean, that was the first step for me mentally, mentally but I kept yeah. trying. I was still going to these Bible schools, doing these things for years yeah. afterward. And this second Bible school was actually the first step for me because... I had I was dealing with a lot of issues. They put me in grief counseling about the, the, the about guy that, the yeah. about the guy, and I had two sessions with the woman, and she told me I was getting too attached. To what her? 
Yes. I see. Okay. And she's I, a count like a psychiatrist. I don't. I don't know. Looking okay. back, I have no got idea. It, but she it. was who was assigned to counsel me. All right. And told me that I was getting too attached and we couldn't meet anymore. So it's basically. Okay. <laughs> what was the what was the the question or the conversation that she? Why would she feel that way? I don't know. Looking back, I honestly have no idea. So I think she was she probably was, a, like a psychiatrist, which right. is probably nothing. Legal I think she'd read probably about yeah, being a psychiatrist. That's right. Well, and if I think there is often some like some prob like discomfort when it comes to people that are psychologists and psychiatrists as it pertains to religion. Right. Right. Like it doesn't yeah. mesh. So well, much. and me being a very honest, open questioner. Yeah. And I also had a little bit of it. It started to overlap a little bit. I had this friend in Kentucky that was probably the love of my life looking back. Yeah. But we were, because of our parents and who we surrounded by, that wasn't really okay. Totally. We weren't ready to just go get married when we were 18. Romeo and Juliet scenario. Right? Yeah. So yeah. nothing actually happened, but I think it's still, it's still this you day, still it kind of hangs over. What? You guys, did you still think about you? Yeah. Now? Do you talk to him still? Every, off and on. Yeah. Is he married and moved He on? got married and then he was calling me while I'm at the school being like, I was thinking about you on my wedding day. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Fuck. What do you do with that? I don't know what you do with it. I mean, that's that's right. on him. Man. A lot. That's totally on, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's on him. To, like, but then I start questioning things. I'm like, well, what's the what's the actual truth? Like, is it better for him to be honest? Yeah. Or is it better for him to lie to his wife? You know, so what is right. the truth there? Is well, the fact that we could be in love the real truth? Or right. is the fact that he is married and chose this person, which is more the way I was raised. Is that the real truth? Yeah. Well, it's a great, that's, that's a great point of discussion. And honestly, you know, when it, when a guy, how selfish do you have to be as a guy to call another girl on your wedding day? It's selfish to you. Yes. It's selfish to his wife. Mm -hmm. That is not what a, a good man does. Exactly. So that is, I mean, if, if that's, means anything like, yeah you don't do that shit no you don't no. do that you make shit. a decision and you're like that's the thing i'm going to do because it's the right thing to do yeah so i'm in all this turmoil yeah and i'm how, being about very how old were you sorry i was 22 oh shit okay yeah, yeah. so this is your and i'm still along, at this then. point i've still never kissed anyone yeah. i've still never really drank right, i've right. still and it wasn't that i didn't that i didn't think those things were okay it was just that i didn't want to rush into them for the sake just of because. rushing into yeah, them yeah yeah at this point and um yeah so my whole life was in turmoil on a on an internal level and right. i was trying to be very honest about it so that i actually dealt with it and i'm saying you know what is the actual That's truth right. yeah. and things and i really got kind of ostracized from this school of course and Wait, you're you're questioning get the fuck out of here yeah no, that's, exactly and that's ridiculous, right? and so i at the end of it, they were kind of like, we guess we'll pass you as a graduate because we don't know what else to do. Like, I hadn't actually disobeyed any rules. Right. But I felt so ostracized that it was, that was the ending of my relationship with religion. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. No more. And then, but a couple of years later when I was in school in Fort Collins for a semester yeah. <laughs> and being like, oh, I'm going to go overseas and travel. There was a shooting in Colorado. The Littleton thing? No, that would have been earlier. Um, so this was Arvada. Okay. Um, but it was I a guy that, that went to this, went to the YWAM base, shot oh. some people, one of whom was my best friend from there. Oh my God, he came here? And then he went down to Colorado Springs and shot up a church down there. Was he affiliated with that organization? He had been and he had been ostracized and not allowed to go on there. So he couldn't trip. process it in a positive way. Right. And wow. so he went back and he's like, Years later, I'll shoot people and that all. And the people who were there had nothing to do. Nobody knew him. Right. 
Because it, it's all shifted through it's already. Trans- yeah, yeah Transition it's a out. transitional thing. And um, so that was another thing that was a big deal to deal what with. Is, what, I mean, besides the, the grieving part of it, because, I mean, that's two major losses. You know, that's actually more than a lot of people face mm-hmm. in, in such a short amount of time, too. Where I can't imagine that you had any bearings whatsoever. Like, you're like, no. where do I go? What do I do? You know? Yeah, that was um, that was really, really difficult. A lot of us who had been in the school together came, and we all just stayed in this one person's apartment, yeah. lived close to there. And we all went and got, t- she had remember across her wrist uh-huh. and we all went and got remember tattoos. And yeah. my aunt in Denver recognized my jacket on the news and went and told my mom I'd gotten a tattoo. And That, was that is the deal. wrong fucking conversation. Uh, it's the wrong right fucking now. conversation. But totally. it was such a bizarre situation because these are the things that do actually happen and we all know they happen, yeah. but it's always removed. You Yeah, you can't. Hi- I'm like, we had news crews following us around yeah. being wow. like the grieving friends of, you know, yeah. and it was. I really, I mean, it was a really terrible thing and you can't really process in that kind of situation. Well, especially if you've never seen it before and you're intentionally been removed from Mm -hmm. these kinds of real life scenarios, like totally sheltered on purpose. Right. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost irresponsible to do that to a kid. Yeah. So this, yeah, this led into a couple of years of kind of internal conflict and, um, slight depression for me, I would say trying to figure out what. So at this point, I'm done with school. I'm not yeah. going back to school. I actually delayed my finals that year for months. The school was amazing. They were very, I think the vice president called me the morning after it happened. Yeah. So they're supportive. And they're supportive and they offered counseling and all these things. I'm like, I think I'm just not going to go back to school. And yeah. that was the end of it. Um, but yeah, that so was. That's, I mean, I can see the, the story kind of building and I can see maybe your personality and your existence kind of start, like, starting to come into form. It's, yeah. It feels like the beginning of the solar system. Right? <laughs> All this stuff is just, it's so nebulous, but it's swirling and it's building. Right. And eventually, I think it catapults you out. Well, and I just, yeah, I wasn't really yeah. equipped to handle it. Yeah. So what do you, what, what do you do then? What did you do? Like when you started to be able to kind of bear yourself from, or dig out of some of that grief, mm-hmm. where were you? I... I moved back home with my parents for about eight months and I was working a lot, just trying to save up enough money to leave. Yeah. All I knew was I needed to leave. Yeah, yeah. And I wasn't sure where and I was talking to this guy who was a Green Beret mm. with this kind of long distance thing going and I was like, okay, I want to move. Might as well move. To, closer, for this dude? Close, yeah, yeah okay. close to where he is. Sure. And then we had a conversation right before I left where it became apparent that Really, what was happening was that he was an alcoholic. Okay. And so nothing could really be trusted. Oh, so he could have been married for all you know, right? Right. Well, he, yeah, not that far. Okay. okay. But I mean, stuff like potentially, that. Yeah, 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 anything yeah. like that. So I just came to this stark really, and I had a job and an apartment lined up, and I was like, okay, I Where can't go there. Where was you were going to work? I was going to, it's Cincinnati. Okay. Okay. Um, I was like, okay, I can't do this. I can't move somewhere for someone. Yeah. I can't trust this situation, and I and I think I was just grasping on to things because I didn't know what to grasp on to. Right, yeah, of course. And I had a friend in San Antonio, and the sports bar I was working at had one in San Antonio, and okay. I found out I could transfer. And so oh, cool. Essentially, overnight, I made the decision to not go to Cincinnati, mm-hmm. but to go to San Antonio instead. How, how old are you? 23. Okay. 
And um, I had a friend who helped me drive down. And because I had made the decision not to move anywhere for anyone, I didn't even tell my friend I was coming. Oh, wow. And I called him when I got to San Antonio. I was like, so I moved to San Antonio. <laughs> That's amazing. That's early on, too, in that that culture, that industry. Yeah. Um, and that was – San Antonio was the place – where I was allowed to get drunk and that was okay. And at yeah. that time, it was a very freeing thing for me. It's kind of what you needed. It it's what like I needed. I needed pleasure. to be able to fuck up. Yeah, for sure. And still have my friends at the end of the day yeah. not reject me or be like... Or judging you for Or doing judging that. me. Because yeah. I had been judged for being honest in church right. and religion. And so now I was allowed to mess up and experiment and do these things and yeah. i found a roommate on craigslist and um like the rest of the world does they yeah like the rest they, of the world normally does i was just roommate. several years behind and i'd still never at this point like kissed anyone yeah. or you know and i was working at this sports bar which was really funny looking Is back it still around no it closed okay. it was a chain called champs oh i remember that place yeah i never went there but i remember seeing it yeah before. um so it did it did close and then I started working at the Roaring Fork. Okay, that's good, yeah. Um and it, and you still you're a server at this point or you work server slash bar? bartender? Oh, okay. The servers made a lot more money than sure. the bartenders. So I would do bartending shifts, but I was making my money from cocktailing. Right. So I did a little bit of both. Um and I worked there for a year and then I on my birthday for a long time, my birthday was a very, I treated it kind of like New Year's where I don't go out. I want to be alone uh -huh. and kind of set my path for the next year. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. Kind of introspection. Introspection. Yeah. yeah. And I, so I came up to Austin for the day because I didn't want to get trapped into going out yeah, and partying. Yeah. And I got here and I was like, I love it here. Yeah. Why does anyone live in San Antonio? <laughs> <laughs> No, you know, San Antonio, it's okay. It's well, it's changed a lot now. Oh, it's great. Um, yeah, everybody loves San Antonio now. But at the time, I was like, yeah, why? Why? Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to move to Austin. Actually, I wasn't sure if I was going to move to Austin or Louisville. And I was in Louisville for six weeks. Mm. And it was right after um, the economy crashed. Yeah. And there were no jobs. The restaurants that were there were doing really well. Uh -huh. And I had managers tell me, I want to hire you, but my staff would mutiny me. Sure, yeah. Because there was no transition happening. Yeah, no one that, wants to leave. Yeah, the people that had thing. the good jobs yeah. were holding on for dear life. For sure. So there were no jobs, and I started working at Starbucks, which I had done previously. And still in San Antonio? No, in Louisville, when I was oh. trying. Oh, 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 got it, got trying it. Trying to move there. And um, I, I was like, okay, if I work at Starbucks, I can pay exactly my bills. Right. But I have no money for gas or food. Yeah. If I work full time, I can do this. But without eating. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, why did I, why am I trying so hard to make this happen when I had a job in yeah, exactly. San Antonio? So I went back to San Antonio for a couple of months. And why then were I you came, trying to make it happen? Um, the guy? I think just that place felt like home still. I see. I, I still had a lot of friends from that last year of high school gotcha. and- so some, I, some familiarity. Some familiarity. And Louisville is actually a really cool city. It's a little oh, bit bet, like bet. Austin, but with more Southern charm mm -hmm. and personality. It's a lot of like pubs and coffee shops and artsy people. Yeah, and I think sure. it gets overpassed. And I was like, this is great. And then um, it was about the time Death Proof came out. Remember that movie? Sure. Oh, yeah. And I loved Planet it. Terror and yes. Yeah, was it the... Uh, Robert Rodriguez? I wouldn't have saw it. I, I saw it with Quentin Tarantino. 
He was sitting behind me. <laughs> and I was like, man, I don't like this movie at all. I said it. <laughs> yeah, it's a great moment. Because I love Tarantino. Oh, my God. Tarantino is amazing. Yeah. It well, was just so funny that he's like right behind me. But, yeah. <laughs> great. Yeah. So what, that. what, yeah, what, that drew, did so, you think about the film community or? I thought about the movie. I was like, that and Whip It came out yeah. about the oh, same yeah. time. Which are both like, filmed here. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just remember being in the theater being like, and I just visited Austin yeah. and I was like, I could do that. I like, I like all this. That's I like so all cool. these things. Yeah. So I bought a 66 Mustang and I moved to Austin. Fucking yeah. Really? Mm -hmm. Good shape? Uh, it was when I got it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great car. Yeah. Amazing. No AC, no power steering, no power brakes. Beautiful. Non-working radio, but yeah. I felt like a fucking badass. That is so cool. And it was great. Um, so I moved up to Austin so last minute that I literally had no place to live. Mm -hmm. I realized once I got here, I was like, wait, where am I sleeping tonight? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Mustang. Something, yeah, right? I mean, yeah. I guess they'll sleep in there. But I went to, I was reading the Roaring Fork downtown yeah. and I was on a double on my first day. And I went to Frank uh -huh. for lunch. Yeah. And I started talking to the bartender and he was like, he's like, this might be weird. We just met. But literally, if you need a couch tonight, I got you. Oh, that's rad. It was so rad. Yeah. His name was Ian. He was uh -huh. great. And at work, there was actually an older woman whose daughter was away at college who I ended up staying with instead. Really? That same day. But the fact that I could walk into a town and you homeless got taken care of. and have two places to stay by the end of the day yeah. was kind of a great feeling. It is. So I worked for a few months and I saved up enough money and I got a studio off of um, Guadalupe. Mm -hmm. Couldn't really afford that either. That's it was expensive. 675 furnished. Yeah. Oh, furnished. That's good. That was good because yeah. I had no furniture. <laughs> <laughs> and I called a, a dear friend of mine in Colorado mm. and I was like, look, I know you're taking a semester off. I think you should come check out Austin. It's like, you can help me pay my rent. <laughs> 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 and one of our old Red Robin managers was working down here. I was like, so you have a job? Yeah. I was like, get out of Colorado Springs. Come down. It sucks. Come down. She's like, well, I really want to go. She's gay and mm -hmm. <laughs> now it was a long process sure, sure. but <laughs> she's like i really want to go to the tegan and sarah concert and they're coming in february i'm like no they're coming to austin in january so just get down here do it yeah do it and so she moved down here and she still lives here that's amazing yeah somebody that i would know or no is she in the industry I, no she's not she's like fringe industry because oh, she okay. she lives with rebecca harris now oh nice yeah. yeah um and i mean we were so poor i was like taking leftover mac and cheese from Roaring for yeah, yeah. and taking it home to our studio that we amazing. shared yeah. and she's cooking like dinosaur nuggets and yeah, we're yeah. living off of that and Miller high life and a friend of ours a very eligible bachelor came over at one point and looked in our fridge and he was like guys I'm a bachelor and this fridge this is, is sad worse than mine, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like well we don't have money for food so yeah. we would go to I, I heart video and rent oh, movies because we couldn't go out Living the I mean like this is the life I think a lot of people want to do, to do in Austin, you know? Yeah. And it's a little bit different now. but Right. So you, obviously you're building on probably more experience behind the bar and whatnot. But so I meet you at Drinkwell. Mm -hmm. Which I had, I had a few steps in between. When, where did you go? Where were you working before? Well, I was at Roaring Fork for, I would say almost a year. Yeah. And I helped open the Westin Hotel. Okay. Yeah. With an old Roaring Fork manager. Um, and from there, that was actually a pretty good gig, but I wanted to be a part of the food and bev scene in Austin. Yeah. Like, it was like, there's such exciting things happen happening. So I went and applied at La Condesa uh -huh. and started there. Oh, cool. Which that was my first real experience into cocktails and flavors. Yeah. And, well, you got an and also just bar. 
I mean, Rene Ortiz was a chef at the time, and mm -hmm. he's such a badass. Yeah. And his take on flavors and sustainable food and all these things just blew my mind. But that place is a beatdown. Yeah. Like, they have a full-time juicer yeah. who had to go. He was a busser that had to, he dropped a bottle one time, and it, like, glass shards flew into his eye. Oh, no. And so he was having to have these kind of reconstructive surgeries. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes you would show up with a full bar to set up and then be like, oh, and Denorio can't come in today, so you also have to do the juicing, which is eight oh, hours worth. God. And you were like, um, this is literally physically impossible. Yeah. And I remember during South By trying to shake a drink, and I was just so tired from being in the well all night because this is the place, the tickets come out, and they never stop. Right. Because the cocktails are so good. Sure that nobody drinks beer or wine like you would in most fine dining restaurants. So you have 12 tops ordering just cocktails. Cocktail cocktail. The tickets are from the printer to the floor That's all night long, yeah. no matter what you do. Um, but I got fast and I got good. Yeah. Um, and I remember waking up in the morning and not being able to lift my arm because that's how many drinks I had shaken the night before. Yeah, yeah. And so it was a learning lesson, but it wasn't good quality of life. I see. But it's a good thing to wet your beak on or like sharp yeah it was a good it. thing to go through i think where did you head out uh, after um, well i kind of doubled up i was i opened eisenhower's oh, on rainy yeah, street okay. yeah which was the that. first bar i'd worked at not restaurant mm -hmm. um and that didn't work out yeah <laughs> i actually got fired <laughs> really they never told me why they never do yeah they were like it's not working out and i was like okay okay <laughs> Sure, you find another. I don't like you guys anyway. Better bar than this one. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I was like, the money's not that good. I'm not too bent out of shape about it. Yeah. I had started working at ACL Live uh, music venue. Yeah, yeah. And then I went to Contigo. Was kind of my big move. Who was over there then? When you was Steven over there? When you... No, nobody you know was there when oh, we okay, opened. Okay. Oh, when you opened. Oh, geez. So we had eight bartenders, and I was the only one who lasted more than two or three months wow. when we opened. And Houston eats. Yeah came over and was our bar manager, our second bar manager, because the first one didn't make it. Right. And he is really who I consider my mentor in the cocktail world. He's a good dude. Yeah. I really like Houston. I mean, he's kind of an asshole. But no, no, I know. But as a guy, he's good. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how he is. But I say that with all love. Oh, sure. He's um, rough and surly like but the rest. That's, but. I mean, but that's what I needed. I needed someone to be like, no, try harder. Yeah. And I did. Yeah, yeah. I would try harder. And that was where I kind of learned, you know, that there's formulas to these cocktails and there's an approach, you know, and we made classic cocktails. I was like a Diablo, what? Yeah. Mind blown. <laughs> exactly. Um, and we would just go through all these things and that place was crushed. I mean, we'd have a 30 minute line for drinks yeah. of people waiting for tables. And it's funny when we opened, I was like, this place isn't going to make it. I made a bad choice because it's all outdoors. Yeah, I know. And it's hot as shit. And it's hot as shit. People don't care. They nope, still go. They're place. like, we want an hour. We have an hour wait to wait for a picnic table in the sun in the middle of the day. Okay, cool. Let's do it. Yeah. And I was like, and then we tasted the food and it was my first exposure to things like charcuterie. Right, right. And we had fried pig ears and fries Tongue, on the opening menu. I was like, nobody yeah. wants this. Nobody's, nobody's going to eat here. <laughs> <laughs> Little did you know. Little did I know. Yeah. It blew up and it was this huge success. That's amazing. Um, But Mike actually uh -huh. was friends with Ben Edgerton, the owner. Uh -huh. And so he came in and worked a few shifts when we first started. And he's really? like, my wife and I are opening a place and we're friends with Ben because we took David Allen's tipsy Texan right. class. Where everybody met. Where really. everybody met. 
And so Ben said I could come in and kind of like help him out, but see how this opening process goes. Because Mike and Jessica weren't restaurant people. Right, right. You know, they're coming from the other side. And so we hit it off and fast forward like nine months down the road, they're looking for a lead bartender. And the culture in Austin at the time was grumpy old men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who had all worked. I mean, everyone basically came out of Pacheri's side showroom. Right, right, right. And everyone at a certain point were so on their game that they felt like they all deserved their own cocktail programs. <laughs> so yep, everyone split go. from Peche and Eastside Showroom, yeah. but nobody had cocktail programs to give them. That's right. So they all ended up floating at these kind of weird places. Mm-hmm. And I was like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and going in and like, hi, teach me things. Yeah, and yeah. they were like, oh, this kid is harmless. So yeah. they taught me things. And so I was kind of mentored by like all these dudes in Austin. The dream team at with, that time, man. Yeah, without people. them realizing it. Yeah. Um, but Mike and Jessica wanted someone that didn't have a name. That's right. They didn't want someone with that ego or they wanted to shape expectations. It, think, they right. wanted to shape it and they wanted to be the name. It's their place. It's That's their right. baby. Yeah. And so they were like, this trick can get shit done. And so they brought me on. Yeah. I just remember, you know, I remember a couple of fun. Drink oil was really like the most formative place for Charles and I as we were mm-hmm. starting the distillery when I was yeah. learning about spirits and I yeah. recall one particular thing that you've mentioned to me a couple of times and like and I'm not this guy anymore my, <laughs> um, I'm much more laid back and not as inquisitive because I've had plenty of time to, to drink and think about spirits and stuff. <laughs> but I remember so I, I was it was really busy on a Friday or something and mm-hmm. I was like being I just too inquisitive probably and to like make me a thing with the thing and it's like <laughs> <laughs> this, you know, I was that guy. Yeah, yeah, you were that guy. You were absolutely <laughs> that guy. And we were like, oh, God. This, this guy. fucking guy. Yeah. <laughs> Friday night. I know, dude. I know. It's 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 changed. We all change. And I just oh, yeah. was so, so thirsty for knowledge. And the drink was such a great well, place. And we always appreciated you because you were not just thirsty for knowledge about the drinks. Yeah. You actually gave a shit about us oh, as yeah. bartenders. and. It always seemed that you were so fascinated by our interactions with each other and sure. this culture that we were in. And we were, I mean, the you were always very intuitive as to what was going on in the bartending community, I felt like. Yeah, I love that. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's really no surprise now that we're meeting like three plus years later and we're actually having a fully fledged interview about <laughs> the industry, you know? Yeah. I mean, I guess I saw it coming. I just, I love people... And this particular cross-section in industry is amazingly creative. Mm-hmm. We've got these brilliant backgrounds. Like, your story's fucking epic. It's cinematic, <laughs> you know? There are really, really some lovely stories. And yeah. God, it's just like a pleasure getting to sit here and, and engage you and talk I about know. this. Well, I was talking to Justin yesterday. Yeah. Oh, you might, yeah. 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 Or no, Cardwell. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. He's coming in. And I was like, this totally makes sense that he's doing this podcast series because this is actually what we were always doing. Yeah. And now it's just getting recorded, which is. I'm just trying to chronicle it, right? Yeah. This is a great time in history. Yeah. And we have really interesting lives and we've met each other in such fortuitous ways. Yeah. So, speaking of which, then, and we'll we'll wrap on the last chapter here, Mm. you took a job at Austin, obviously, had been good to you. And Mm -hmm. I think you really developed a career and a name. And I think you needed a bigger, better step, and you headed back to Colorado. Yeah, I spent yeah I spent a minute working for brands down here, and I was mm-hmm. like, I can't do the brands thing. And um, so knowing that you talked to Justin Lavenue, yeah, he introduced me to a gentleman by the oh, name yeah. of James Lee. Yeah, 
And I'm the one who took him to Drinkwell that first time, mind you. Like, oh. you got to check this place out. <laughs> I didn't I realize thought, that you knew yeah, David Yeah, I fucked well. everybody over, I think, <laughs> on that one. But either way. Well, no. I mean, it all worked, it worked out. out for, yeah, that's I true. I mean, that's we true. all ended up better places. Um, so I met this guy named James Lee, who basically went around town scouting the talent. Yeah. And put together a bar staff before he actually had a bar. And the bar staff he put together was the staff that was at Drinkwell when I was there. It was Carly. Mm-hmm. It was Dennis. Mm-hmm. It was myself. It was um, Nick Conover. Yeah, oh yeah, Nick. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was all these people who really, in, in retrospect, as well as at the time, were kind of the dream team, mm-hmm. I think. And so he was like, I'm looking for the, I'm looking for a place. And it was a smart move in Austin. He went to buy a place that had a liquor license that he would operate under right, and kind of right. flip it, which is what Justin and Dennis did. Absolutely. Yeah. And that kind of stemmed from James, probably, that um, good approach. approach. Yeah. It takes forever to get anything done oh, in Austin. Shit, so he's like, there's no good property. There's nothing that's the space I actually want to be in. Mm-hmm. And he owns a condo in Vail. And so he and Nick Conover basically took off overnight yep. and went to Vail. <laughs> yeah. And I was I was working at Nova, mm-hmm. which was such a lovely space. Oh, but yeah. it took a long time to get going. And mm-hmm. I was just tired of feeling like I had to... To work, to hustle, to, to like hustle bring to get in. people yeah. in the door to make my rent. Right. And they took off to Vail, and I grew up vacationing in Vail. And I was like, I was kind of, I was probably a little bit cheating. I'm on the phone. I'm like, you fucking left me waiting for your bar to open. Yeah. And you went to Vail. I love Vail. Make it right. <laughs> I know Vail. Yeah, yeah. And it was kind of like hemming and hawing. And then a week later, he had started working at the bowling alley in Vail as a busser. And uh-huh. he figured out he knew cocktails and he went from busser he was like i'm just trying to kill time i don't care what i do i just want to be involved in a restaurant yeah yeah. so then he became the bar manager and he called me and he was like i could use a bartender a couple days a week i'm like fuck yeah you can yeah and I, you got up and left. <laughs> i got up and left jesus but when i left it was so sudden because in my mind i was coming back to open this bar yeah we were just killing the winter that's right i was like i can just snowboard and chill out for a few months and get a change of pace and mm. i'll be back and Rob Crabtree moved into my apartment and perfect, right? I left all my furniture even. I just packed up the car and what else didn't fit, I just tossed out mm-hmm. and gave two weeks' notice at my job and went to Colorado right before Christmas. Yeah. And two and a half years later. Still there. Still there. Yeah. James didn't work out. But so other things did, seemingly. Other things did. They gave me his job at Bowl. They were like, You're actually here. Yeah. We heard you have management experience. I'm like, Well, okay. I, I mean that's this. great. And you've got a beautiful it's a beautiful climate. Yeah. Your family do, do they still live in Colorado? Yeah, they live in Colorado Springs, so a few you, hours away. Do you get to visit them? Now yeah, my dad comes up and skis all the time oh, cool. and uh I get to see them in the winter I'm too busy. I'm just yeah, like I, I go just, home for Thanksgiving and I'm like, Okay, see you in April. Yeah. Well so I guess the you know, this this story has winded and take us in a lot of different directions, which is <laughs> really amazing stuff. Did you you finally kissed a boy, I hope. It's <laughs> 24. Finally yeah. kissed a boy, yeah. Did you ever go through that being in love and no. all that stuff? Not yet? No. No. I um, I think I've, over the course of all this, I've just become so fiercely independent that yeah. I, I, well, first of all, it'd take a lot to kind of handle everything I have going on. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just not used to factoring anyone else into my decisions. Sure. So at this point, I love the freedom of being able to do exactly what I want all the time. And yeah. the industry we're in is hard. 
to date in because you either date someone with the same schedule with you or you date someone you, with the opposite right or the opposite and mm. it's the opposite is actually the better option mm. but it's hard for people to understand what we do and i'm like oh the fact i'm home two hours later than i said i was going to be is not to me this is a normal part of life and to you this is actually a big deal right so I, i've tried a couple of times and i just ultimately i'm like when it's right it's right Absolutely. I'm not worried about it. I think every, like every <laughs> piece of this story, every chapter has landed at exactly the right time. Yeah. That's the best part. That's what that's it's like. Who, someone is looking out for you. Right? I know. Because it's just like things lined up in exactly the right way at exactly the right time. Mm-hmm. And I think, man, you're only just beginning to, to see what all this has in store. Yeah. You know, it's pretty amazing. It is. It's exciting. And now it's time for the next chapter. I'm yeah. leaving Vail. So we'll, well where, see. Where are you going? I don't know yet. It's amazing. I love it. So, <laughs> Tasty's leaving Vale. Yep. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Man, it's, it was, it, it's been great getting to know you over the years, and it's really just such an incredible story. It's lovely. Thanks so much for sharing with yeah. me. And Thanks we'll, for inviting me. Yeah, my pleasure. And we'll, we'll check some more Bar Institute out. Okay. Too, this yeah, week, so. absolutely. Thanks, Stacey. Thank you. Well, there we have it. The amazing life tale of Tasty Rowland, formerly of Vale, Colorado, nomadic cocktail consulting i think is the title currently i'm not sure if she's officially dropped the news yet but there have been nice subtle suggestions on the facebook about her return to austin and perhaps collaborating again with some of those old-time friends back from the drink wild days and it's refreshing that someone doesn't get all of the stupid jokes that i put out there whether it's about the simpsons whether it's about star wars south park whatever it is Tacey has had a very unique upbringing, and it's great that she's taken on this world with big, bright eyes and is open to it all. Very seldom do you get that kind of personality. We're all so jaded. We're all so pessimistic, but this is a truly unique exchange between her and I, and I really thank you so much, Tacey, for allowing me to conduct this. So thanks, everybody, for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter How many times you've seen What Women Want with Mel Gibson, or if you're thinking about trying one of the 53 cocktails on the new Roosevelt Room menu, please keep dancing.